0: are here in the 11FS office in WeWork Oldgate, London for episode 59 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. Today we bring you an IPO, not an ICO, whatever next, a Facebook exec steps back from Coinbase and the DEA wants you to use crypto. All this and more on today's Blockchain Insider. I am not alone today. Returning once again is Noel Hson of Kindest. Noel, how are you?
1: Very well, Simon. Thanks. How are you doing?
0: I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm um I'm sort of paralyzed by the brightness of Todd's T shirt, but otherwise I'm I'm hanging in there. Returning again is Anthony Macy from Barclays. Anthony Macy, how the heck are you? I'm very well,
2: sir. How
0: are you? Are you not paralyzed by the brightness of Todd's T shirt?
2: No, I'm loving it. It's actually um Filling me full of excitement and energy.
1: I think yeah.
0: uh, Colin G. Platt can see it from his field. Shout out Colin. Um, but
1: are we going to tell our readers what the t-shirt looks like? Because they can't see it like we can.
0: Not yet. No, that's going to be the mystery. We'll find out uh, when we get round to Todd. But first, we're going to talk about Martin Bartlam from DLA Piper, who is both head of finance and projects and fintech global co-chair. My God, what a title. It is a hell of a title. Great to be here. Thank you for being with us. And Todd
3: McDonald, the co-founder of R3, head of partnerships and head of Red T-shirts. Thank you very much. I feel very honoured to make it to the big leagues of blockchain podcast today yeah. if this was
2: Star Trek the original series you'd be dead by the end of the podcast yeah so the, the
3: big the big <laughs> the big reveal is I have a glorious quarter t-shirt on which I brought for about half of the people in this room So.
0: but then you admitted that the t-shirt
3: was really really warm it is quite warm but I made sure to, to bring an extra medium size for Simon so he can show off his guns that's what picture. it's all about uh, and we
1: should mention it's bright red
3: it's bright bright red yes
0: yeah, so we're, I, I wish I brought my sunglasses but um, speaking of needing sunglasses from Coindesk.com a crypto unicorn Bitmain weighs a eighteen billion dollar ICO, one of the world's largest. uh, Sorry, God, I can't stop saying ICO. IPO, initial public offering. There, what's that? I've I've (laughs) heard (laughs) of these things. They still happen. Old fashioned. Yeah, I I
2: think Facebook did one of those.
1: Um,
0: It's like an
2: ICO, but legal.
0: Ah, okay. (laughs) Uh, So they're filing for an initial public offering, potentially high as eighteen billion dollars this September, with a market cap of between forty to fifty billion US dollars. Um, they, they, Uh, Profited with 2.3 billion across 2016 and 2017 and Q1 2018, uh, with revenues of 2.5 billion in 2017 and 2 billion in Q1 of 2018. Um, And they're forecasting another 2 billion of profit by year end. So this is delivering profitable revenue, which is kind of unique in the blockchain industry at this point. So it seems like mining is the place to be. Um, Noel, what do you think of this one? Is this like a no brainer that they've gone for an IPO or is it quite surprising?
1: It's very surprising. This is the first big IPO that we have heard of in the sector. Not the first in the sector. I mean, their competitor, Kanan Creative, filed for an IPO earlier this year. it be interesting to see who actually ends up coming to market first. What I'm most excited about is the public transparency we're finally going to get in how big mining operations work. We're going to get PE multiples to work with. What's that going to do to ICO issues? How's that, what's that going to do to the valuation models that analysts across the sector are trying to use? And are we going to see perhaps sometime in the near future combination a nation ICO, IPO with different valuation models with a different level of transparency.
4: So many questions. Martin, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously interesting. You, you normally get to the IPO stage when maybe. You know, you're topping in the, in your own view of what's happening in the market. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not the case. You know, why give why give away equity at this stage if they have a profitable business and they're growing rapidly? Then what you know, what's the decision? What's the thinking behind going for the IPO at this point in time? And it's definitely interesting. We are seeing a lot more of these combination issues, though the ICO, and, you know, and series you know, series uh, rounds of financing or IPOs. So it's been much more talked about, much more interesting market as we mix you know, real equity or traditional equity product tokenization. It's really interesting time.
0: It used to be the case that the IPO was the end of the rainbow, as you were sort of saying. Like, that's it. You've topped out. You've stopped growing. It's time to cash in for the investors. The IPO is like the exit moment. Whereas now it's kind of, there are all of these other options on the table, but they're all still so early. So it's interesting that a company that could have done some sort of token issuance is going this traditional route. It's also interesting that they've they've kind of potentially got... I've got a note here that says they sold a lot of Bitcoin for a Bitcoin cash. So maybe this is a way to deal with the fact that they made a wrong bet. Um, there's some some views on that. But Todd, like you're seeing, I guess, tokens in the traditional financial markets as being something that could be usable one day. Talk us through you know, why people might see value in
3: different types of offering um, other than the traditional uh, IPO? Sure. So, you know, I think in the Bitmain case, mining is, is quite capital intensive. They've raised a lot of money from a lot of different institutional players. So an IPO in their case could make a lot of sense. There's a lot of big names that are looking to get some liquidity out of this. But it's a bit of a special case. There's There's only a handful of these mining firms out there if you look it's i think you kind of it's the middle that is interesting when it comes to tokens you have you have these big ipos like a snap or or even a bitmain coming to market that's the traditional ipo route and what we've seen over the last 18 months has been maybe smaller uh, issuances from uh, small projects that were uh, i guess pre-revenue pre-idea pre-business in some <laughs> cases i think where tokens will be interesting is in the middle where you have credible existing businesses, large corporations, those that are looking to raise uh, debt or equity that can potentially tokenize, you know, in it more sort of looks like a traditional uh, debt issuance or potentially uh, tokenizing equity that looks and feels like equity, but maybe is claims on certain things within their business that might be a bit novel, which is the whole point of all this is to not- that novelty. Re- not to replicate exactly what we have today, but- also not to ignore it and you need to find that middle ground
0: it's interesting that uh this optionality of funding source it seems to be a real gap in the market because it's either ipo like you still do see some smaller ipos but it's less and less likely Historically, an entrepreneur had uh, debt or equity as two things that they could do to raise capital. Having more options in there and claims on different things is an interesting concept for people to play with. Anthony, have you any thoughts to add on this one?
2: Just in regards to the hybrid models, I think that's really going to start to separate the wheat from the chaff in regards to proper utility tokens. So these people are going, yeah, yeah, it's a utility token, definitely not equity. Um, I think the users of that will probably have a different view if they do see it as equity and they're also doing an equity raise on the back end, whether that be a Series A or an IPO. So I think that you'll start to see a real separation of these pre business uh, raises and instead starting to see something a bit more valuable come out of them.
0: An element of maturity. I mean, Martin, is that what you're seeing?
2: Yeah, I
4: mean, definitely the market has changed. You know, two th- 2017 onwards, you know, we went from a period of, uh, say, a lot of. Um, uh, speculative uh, fundraising activity where you really had to question what the the substance of the business that was looking for funding was all about. You know, now to a maturing of the market. I think both in terms of People starting to look at, from an investor side, looking at what the quality of the underlying business looks like, uh, looking what the rights, ex- what rights exist in relation to the actual token that you're buying, and trying to create a valuation around what that actual instrument might, you know, might look like, it, it, it has been difficult. But I think that that maturity is starting to come into the the market. And then at the issuer side, yes, we are seeing a larger entities starting to seriously consider you know, how they could use tokenization as an alternative uh, capital stream. Mm. You know, what that would look like. How would that sit in the capital stack? What would what would that mean from a from a, a dilution or non-dilution perspective? So a maturing from both perspectives, which has got to be a good thing.
1: The valuation part is going to be very interesting as we get a more mature market, more mature and more transparent valuations. But then say the utility market takes off utility coins, have a more transparent valuation. What would that do to the equity valuation?
0: Hmm. Interesting. All right, um, we'll keep following this one for sure. Next story again comes from uh, Coindesk. Facebook's David Marcus, steps down from the Coinbase board and uh, so he's stepping down from the board of directors uh, citing his new assignment at facebook as leading the social media giants blockchain strategy his departure comes less than a month after facebook exempted coinbase from its blanket ban on crypto related ads So they've started lifting a few more and i'm seeing some some crypto related ads slowly creeping back into facebook slowly slowly interesting that uh there's also um, some links i saw going around of nine nine to twelve people in facebook whose linkedin profile files have changed to blockchain engineer and all of this sort of stuff. I mean, is this Facebook getting serious, Noel, Is this the beginning of uh, one of the big old giants of tech starting to take this subject seriously, or are they just poking around?
1: I think they've been taking it seriously for a lot longer than we are aware. And I bet a lot of these people have been working on blockchain projects before their LinkedIn profiles got changed. What's interesting about this public declaration, in a way, is why is it a conflict of interest for his Coinbase roles? There are many other directors on big Blue chips in the blockchain sector that have roles in other tech companies, but this was a conflict of interest. What does Coinbase do that Facebook might be interested in? Hmm.
0: That is a question.
1: Unless there's a partnering going
2: on. I, I mean, Facebook have been chasing payments now for a long time. So I guess if they're looking at it then it makes sense there'd be some sort of integration with Coinbase. I mean that's what I'd look to do. I guess
3: it it, it felt like me it was sort of like crypto Twitter taking 2 plus 2 to equal 21E6 or something. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. I mean, this is. I think this happens all the time. Facebook is clearly investigating blockchain. I mean, didn't Zuckerberg put it in his, like, you know...
0: Thing I'm looking at this yes, year. Yes,
3: New Year's resolutions to make us all feel guilty about how little we're accomplishing in our lives. Because last year you figured out <laughs> machine learning. And, yeah, yeah, you should probably figure out uh, Russian trolls too. But I guess, you know, they're, they're clearly... All the big technology firms are looking at this. That's the trend that we've seen for many, many years. Oracle, Amazon... Uh, PayPal, Facebook, they're all involved. Um, but, I mean, Coinbase really is nowhere in payments. I don't really see that as, as maybe they, they could be, but f- uh, it, I don't know, I think, I think that this, I think this is just Facebook creating optionality right? So they wanted to, to eliminate any potential conflicts. So they have a, a wider berth to, to examine.
0: And if you see where Coinbase is going, they're moving towards that institutional investor professionalizing, but also providing a whole bunch of capabilities around the broker dealer, the custodian. They're, they're really moving uh, into depository as well. They've kind of got a mixture of services they're offering. So could Facebook be going in any of those directions? It's interesting as well that it is David Marcus. David Marcus was the former CEO of um, PayPal. Before that, he ran, I think it was one of the mobile telco payments companies it was Boku or one of those I can't remember exactly who it was and so he has real pedigree in terms of payments businesses so he's been sitting there for quite some time trying to get payments working and Facebook as you say have been I mean I've been in fintech since 2008-9 and watching Facebook I remember going to an event in 2009 with a couple of people from Facebook learning about payments and how payments work and an industry where they have had this privacy issue where they've just taken you know massive share price hit because of all of the privacy stuff they've now got to implement that they've told the market they're going to do Strikes me that they're looking for new revenue and payments would be the place to do that. And emerging markets payments would probably be the place where they'd really look first.
2: And if you're looking at the kind of institutional products and solutions that you mentioned Coinbase are looking to provide, it makes sense for them to be able to provide that to Facebook as a way of them facilitating payments.
0: And also, you know, this is interesting to me because Google Tez is doing really well in India, um, Ant Financial, Alibaba, WeChat uh, from Tencent have all done really well in emerging markets. Facebook haven't really done the same with WhatsApp and have tried around the edges. And you get a lot of people informally sort of hacking those apps and doing things around them in these uh, markets, especially in Indonesia, you see a lot of that. You see a little bit of it in sub-Saharan Africa. WhatsApp is still really popular, especially uh, where English is a first or second language. Uh, but it's it's just not been able to grasp that um, payments capability in quite the same way. I think there's another interesting thing here is this is a web 2.0 business. It's essentially a platform business doing, potentially playing with quote-unquote web 3.0 technologies. And is that something that's that's interesting here to you, Noel? Does, does that kind of spark anything?
1: It's, again, something I think has already been going on for a long time. I don't think there's much new there. What's most interesting to me about this is the user base of Facebook. What if they could bring pay- blockchain payments, for instance, to that size of user base? What would that do to economies of scale?
0: What interests me is can you do blockchain payments if you struggle to do payments? Like, so a lot of the user experience stuff, a lot of the regulatory stuff is the same regardless of the underlying tech. But I wonder if there's a thesis here of if it's cash like bearer instruments that they're facilitating the movements between wallets, does that? And
4: kind of absolve them of needing regulation.
1: And cross-border cash-like movements as well, what would the regulators say to that?
4: Indeed. But I think, it, yeah, I mean, there's two things with that. I mean, I've always, I, I view Facebook, uh, you know, if you're holding an interest in Facebook, part of it is like holding an interest in a technology fund, and you're relying on certain people in Facebook to actually analyse what's, ha- what's actually happening in the market that may be scalable or is, a, is happening at a scale level which would be difficult for others to get into, so... It's a view I've had on Facebook for a, for a while. I mean, the other is you know you look at the the logic behind the Telegram deal and you look at what they did and you look at Facebook and you you put those two together and you think oh, you know it's, there's such an obvious uh, similarity between the story that Telegram was presenting in terms of the the users and the wallet and the ability to make cross-border payment flows. If you got Facebook with that user base operating effectively with a wallet and a, and a a Facebook coin, it's a very powerful function I think in this at this time.
0: But it's interesting to me. Telegram haven't cracked it. Facebook haven't cracked it. Google and Apple have been playing around with payments for a little while, but they're, they're not really where you'd expect them to be, given their might.
3: The tech players just can't really break in uh, to the to the payment space. They've been trying for a decade. It's not in their DNA, right? It's not what they do. It may, I mean, uh, we kind of leapt to a payments use case for them, but it, most, it probably would be more realistic for them to be looking at something that's core to Facebook, which is around... Some level of identity, reputation, some aspect of that probably would make more sense. I mean, we're all just kind of reading the tea leaves here. But like you said, the big technology companies, so Wall Street's worried about the big tech companies cracking payments. But they haven't done it quite yet because it's not their core business. When it becomes their core business, then they might have to watch out.
0: It's interesting you mentioned that because uh, Facebook, with a huge data ownership and data privacy problem, if they could really re-architect the relationship between user, their data, and algorithms that access that data, then you've got something that's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and
3: they might be sort of blockchain washing it a bit potentially because it would make the users feel better to be on the platform to having a sense that they are not being remonetized on Facebook. Interesting.
1: What does cracking payments mean now anyway? Has anyone cracked payments ever? And I think what PayPal would it look did like?
3: okay. Um, but there's but still
1: friction or else we wouldn't be talking about new no, it's types. No, I, I Did think PayPal do okay? I, were they just right timing, right
2: market? I mean, how well are they doing now? They've separated from eBay. Isn't
3: right timing, right market uh, pretty much 99%? The <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so,
2: I mean, it's not that they cracked payments. It was just the timing. And you can say that for pretty much most innovations. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how well PayPal do in payments once they have that clause in their contract So eBay. their share
0: price has more than doubled since they separated from eBay. Um, they've been a, one of the best performing stocks on the NASDAQ They, but pr- driven primarily by the acquisitions of Braintree and Venmo Right. so it's been an acquisition strategy they're, they're traditional but, and they got into lending, they did a lot of credit stuff um, but they they kind of cracked it. I don't know that you could say they have done in the same way that Tencent and Alibaba and, uh, have have done with Alipay so it's it's a bit different but then whenever you've got a market with incumbent infrastructure it's it's a lot harder to crack payments than it is if you've got a market without the incumbent infrastructure going to move us to the next story though and this one's pretty relevant to you Anthony Uh, it comes from cointelegraph.com Barclays denies Crypto Trading Desk plans as staff remove digital asset project from their LinkedIn info. Barclays told Cointelegraph that they have no plans for Crypto Trading Desk. As a press time, Duval and Tyra's LinkedIn profiles still show positions at Barclays working with quote-unquote digital assets, but no specifics. The curious events continue. So, as head of blockchain and DLT, what's up with that?
2: <laughs> well, we told the journalist... It's not true. Mm. We have no plans at the moment to open a crypto trading desk, and that's remaining the case. So you can report what you want. just not true.
3: Uh, Should we ask different questions? Blink twice if they're true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and our, our listeners won't know, will they? Exactly.
3: It's, it's a, There's a lot of LinkedIn CSI in this week's episode. Right. Isn't it weird how much LinkedIn stuff is happening lately? Like, somebody says,
0: oh, I'm quite interested in pigeons. That means they like blockchains.
4: Like, <laughs> why?
0: Because pigeons
2: like things? There's a couple of parts to this, right? So the very fact that Every bank in the entire world right now is looking at blockchain and crypto in some way, shape, or form. The very fact that I have a job speaks to that. The LinkedIn stuff, I mean, there were companies, what, six months ago, 12 months ago, getting in trouble for putting blockchain in their name just to pump their share price. To think that people don't do the same thing to pump their profile, I mean... People, I mean, we know people, all kinds of people who've been vaguely associated with a project and then they've used a title to pump their profile. Now, that's not necessarily the case in this circumstance, but just because you've got a title doesn't necessarily mean what you think it does. And again, to Todd's earlier point, it's 2 plus 2 equals N to infinity. It's like, it's so far removed from the truth that it's no funny. Oh, but it
0: made good headlines, Noel.
1: Absolutely. What I think is fascinating is that going back to the LinkedIn angle, are we seeing the birth of a new type of Job here, LinkedIn analyst. Yeah. You can move share prices even. That's, well,
3: a, that's a dystopian future that I'm not looking forward to. <laughs> so I saw. Um, Better than a
1: Twitter analyst, I suppose. Right?
3: So I was at uh,
0: Mike Butcher's Europa's event in London. So he's the European editor of TechCrunch and he had like a bunch of uh, tech journals on stage and all of them were saying, like, yeah, watching LinkedIn has gotten them a few scoops. And, you know, sort of getting the scoop appears to be the the key here. And especially with crypto Twitter, that will bring you a lot of eyeballs um, because people love that stuff.
1: And again, putting my media hat on, there's a big or not that perhaps not very much of a gap between we're contemplating launching a crypto trading desk and we are planning to launch a crypto trading desk. Yeah. So it may be that yeah. I'm not saying that Barclays is, you, but that maybe they are thinking about it. Maybe they have the talked about it. Maybe yeah. they've had the meetings. That doesn't mean they're going to. There's no the listeners plans. should
3: know, Anthony, you look very very relaxed so your PR people have prepped you very well right they just now. didn't tell me anything oh, okay I'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> find out tomorrow it's like, not actually uh, <laughs> there's a big difference between digital assets and crypto trading you know it could it could be there's different things and I one of the guys I actually did a little LinkedIn CSI myself I, I clicked on one of these guys earlier and he's formerly uh head of commodities or oil trading energy yeah. energy yeah right? Chris is a great guy yeah yeah so I mean we going back it, there's a there they could be the same thing but they don't have to be there is a lot of interest in the tokenization of real assets
0: well so there's a company called digital asset you might have heard of them what's Um, that (laughs) 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 and and they don't touch crypto and to the best of my knowledge have never made a public statement that they ever intend to and yet at the same time are dealing with the tokenization potentially of assets that already exist and so i think sometimes people struggle to differentiate those two things because it's such a a spectrum of different colors and different sort of ways of slicing and dicing complexity
3: correct and we i was having a conversation last week with a partner of ours that's looking to potentially tokenize hydrocarbon flows through, through pipelines I mean there's there's lots of different plays on this that doesn't
4: that doesn't have to just be trading Bitcoin I think what is what's interesting is it's the it captures the the schizophrenia almost or the paranoia that exists in the banking community around the topic you know you can sit in one meeting with people who are spending time in the bank monitoring following developing uh, DLT solutions looking at cryptocurrencies and they'll be the greatest enthusiasts that I've ever met they they, they, they can they want to stand up and shout. About how great this all is. Same time, you can speak to another individual in the in management in a in a bank, and they'll tell you it's you know it's it's uh, it's something that's never going to come into existence. You know, as far as they're concerned, it's still it's still in the bad uh, it's still on the naughty step, and it's still not something that should be treated seriously. And so, somewhere in the banking environment, there's got to be a coming together of these two really quite separate views on the way uh, this technology is evolving. I think that's a really great point.
0: I, I uh, was with the board of a very long- large financial services organization about three four months ago and um there was this wonderful moment in which you know everybody went you know we like the technology but not the currency and it's like that classic we love um, blockchain not bitcoin type of thing and then i said all right but be honest who in this room has a even a small amount of bitcoin personally and every hand in the room sheepishly went up the interest in the technology and you know, on a personal level is different to the interest in on a on a company level there's almost this sort of we have to pretend we don't like the bad thing when in reality the point you're making and i think the point todd made was there are so many shades of gray here things that you think might be crypto might be perfectly legitimate and things that are crypto might be perfectly legitimate and things that so there's all of this complexity in there that i think we need a new language for rather than just trying to barbell the whole industry To me, the sweet spot somewhere between the two is actually the most interesting bit.
2: Does anyone really care about blockchain or crypto, though? Or do they just want the price exposure?
0: So that's a different argument. That's the question of do the individuals themselves, are they just speculating because they see the possible price exposure? Possibly. But the point I was making is a different one, which is, is the commercial interest of the organization not necessarily in crypto or blockchain, but actually somewhere between those two, the sweet spot might be in the middle?
3: Yeah, I think it's... The banks, any financial institution that wants to offer products and services where they can turn a profit and where there's customer interest. So if and when the crypto markets become big enough that the regulatory risk that they take is outweighed by the P&L that they can generate, they'll, they'll go in. We're already seeing them uh, kick the tires on custody, which is very natural spot for them. You talk about it on the show, and, and we have lots of conversations around that. It's a natural fit for banks. That's what they, they some of them do quite well. Mm-hmm. And there is increasing demand for custody of digital assets. But it, but uh, it, it's they're going to follow the customer demand and they're going to follow the the profit when it outweighs the risk because that's all that banks do, especially in this environment, they have to weigh what's the regulatory risk for them to enter that market. <laughs>
1: and it comes down to semantics as well. I mean, as you said, Simon, we need to find a new vocabulary. We have a lawyer with us today who can speak about how important semantics are mm-hmm. in not only company disclosures, but also how companies respond to media reporting or misreporting of said company disclosures.
4: Uh, yeah, I, mean, I mean, when we've been at Simon knows we've been working together on trying to work out a taxonomy around uh, the product and even just finding a common language as to how we describe some of the product are, um, are incredibly difficult because if people use the wrong terminology it immediately takes you down the wrong track and that's and it can I'm be doing. a lightning rod right so
0: if I use the wrong term in front of the person from the wrong profession oof, that that means all of these bad things when actually I meant something else and we can very uh, easily end up talking at cross purposes so hopefully we can we can avoid that all right next story comes from coindesk.com uh, Goldman Sachs JP Morgan invest in Axonis $32 million funding round so they're an enterprise blockchain startup and uh, the funding's led by Goldman and NYCA partners um, is that pronounced NYCA yeah. yeah and the also participating was uh, Andreessen Horowitz Citibank JP Morgan Wells Fargo Y Combinator and Digital Currency. Group, among others. Thomas Richardson, who's the head of market structure and electronic trading at Wells Fargo Security, said the adoption of distributed ledger protocols in capital markets resembles the early days of adopting TCP IP for distributed enterprise applications. Interesting one. Noelle, Xoni have been around for a little while. Do we know what they're trying to deliver back to the banks?
1: They seem to be very focused on the capital markets applications and that the boundaries between what they're doing and what token issuers are trying to do seem to be getting more blurred as time goes on. They're trying to bring blockchain technology to securities markets. Others are trying to bring securities markets to blockchain technology.
0: Yeah, It's interesting. So my understanding is that um, at various conferences, I've seen the CEO, Greg Shvay, is that they're working with the Ethereum stack. Um, so this is the one of the Ethereum flavors of this is how you use a permissioned blockchain amongst known actors. So it's squarely in that DLT, not crypto sort of space. And a lot of it was around trading, of not only securities, but I thought they were looking at um, some clearing stuff at one point as well.
3: Yeah, so uh, congratulations first off to Greg and Jeff and Moss and the guys at xani. they're they're a great team. we it's a pretty it's a fairly small community in New York City around enterprise blockchain. so uh, so it's a we spend a bit of time with them. Uh, in fact, the, there's there was some uh, some chatter that we would do a bit of a, a field day of R3 versus Exxon a little bit later this year. Maybe you can come for the tug of war. They
0: could fund you guys, right? Oh, that's a, <laughs> shots fired. Shots fired on there. Um,
3: so so they are very much focused in capital markets, uh, equity derivatives, credit default swaps, FX post-trade. That's That's what they're working on. We were partners with them in the... DTCC Trade Information Warehouse Project, which is uh, landing soon. Uh, and so that's there. Greg is a, is a really interesting guy, and he, and his brother, started in the Bitcoin world with TradeBlock, and they've moved as well with Axony into the enterprise world. So they have a foot in both camps. I think that what they've what they realized is that this is a long game on the enterprise blockchain side. And so that's what they're gearing up for, and that's what R3 is gearing up for. It's going to take a while. You need the right stakeholders around the table. You mentioned Tom Richardson, who's also an investor and a stakeholder in R3 so you you need to be focused on the end users, the the network that is forming around the technology you're deploying.
0: What I like about this is uh, it's an enterprise play with a bit of West Coast VC in it. You don't see that very often.
3: Those are those are existing investors. I don't, I'm not sure if they were in that. Yeah, round. they probably just re-ups yeah. rather than. Um, yeah, when they, well, they started in YC and uh, A16Z was an early investor, but the, but uh, they are definitely much more Wall Street than West Coast. I mean, Greg wears a tie to every meeting. Yeah, no, that, that freaks me out. I'm it not does. Gonna lie. I, but it freaks me out when he doesn't wear a tie. That's yeah. even worse. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: What do you think, Todd, that Goldman and JP Morgan are interested in here? What are they looking for?
3: With this investment? Usually in cases like this, it's, it's for visibility, uh, seat at the table. Uh, I think Goldman's joining the board, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that's probably the, a big part of it. And they are involved with a few projects. It's, it's very similar to how we uh, orchestrated our investment. We have 47 investors. I think around 41 are banks. And it's similar because we thought that with investment, it doesn't come direct adoption, but it, it, it certainly helps. And the banks, the end users, have a vested interest in the success of the underlying technology um, because, like I mentioned before, it's not, it's not cut and dry. You need people along for that journey.
2: I think it's more interesting what you're starting to see actually being adopted and used. So the investors well and good they see or hopefully see some sort of value play and it's not just PR but when you see the DTCC getting involved and their CEO making quite public statements around why they feel it's very very important strategically for CSDs to be involved in this kind of thing I think that kind of speaks a lot more to the future states that we might see, we often talk about disruption and disintermediation. In a lot of circumstances, I think people really miss the point of what a lot of financial intermediaries do. And don't get me wrong, I'm like everyone else, I have to pay for my financial services, and the less intermediaries there are, the cheaper it is for me as well. But some of them actually perform roles that are genuinely required. And we've mentioned custody a few times. I think from a CSD's point of view, if you are able to move This kind of blockchain type world that Axoni, R3, and others are trying to describe, you then start to lose this requirement of both a CSD and a custodian. And I think that that's probably where people like Goldman, JP, and Citi, especially, are starting to see a bit of interest where they're thinking, Do you know what? Maybe this is a new play for us because if the CSDs can custodize the assets at the same time, you. Take a big chunk out of your payments, right?
0: I think it's interesting that a lot of organizations are looking at DLT, blockchains, tokenization and saying, hey, how does this change the market? And what strategic advantages might this give us? What might it mean for the future? Um, And I'm guessing a lot of that isn't just cost takeout because cost takeout, you know, you tend to need to move the market with you. It's evolutionary. It takes forever. It's really about revenue generation. And so my guess is, and I don't know this, uh, they've seen some way they can generate revenue. And my guess is, and I don't know this, speculation 100% on my part, is that uh, Axony have presented something
4: compelling on, on, a, on a revenue case.
1: A lot of their use cases are very compelling period and so it's interesting that the big boys are agreeing.
4: Yeah, well, so, I, mean, I mean, so it's months ago now, isn't it, when J.P. Morgan were involved in that trade with Navarro to um, do a, a bond trade, principal protected bond trade, um, you know, on a blockchain-based uh, system. So, you know, it, to me, it's kind of quite logical. You could see them dipping a toe in the water there to see whether a blockchain clearing approach would work at all and now moving up a stage into a much more significant, bigger... Do you know what interests me? How many
0: times I've seen the headline, insert bank name, here does world's first bond trade on a blockchain? <laughs> like the, I, I'm pretty sure the Alex Batlin and UBS get that credit. Like uh, if if we're keeping score, but uh, maybe there's some semantics I'm missing.
2: So just staying with Ermex only for one further point with the um, the platform that they have, the ability to run smart contracts on the top of that as well. One of the big threats to certainly the large custodian banks and the large investment banks is around asset servicing, and you can automate a lot of that away. So that's probably a good way for that kind of platform, whether it be you know any blockchain platform. Talk to me
0: about why asset servicing is expensive and painful and automating it away is good.
2: You can start to take processes that are quite manual. So take something like, I don't know, voting rights. It's quite a simple thing. Um, tracking down the individual owners of those voting rights and getting contact with each of those shareholders. That generally takes a few stages. You might have agency banking within that. You know the owners of that, but it's quite a complex process. Now, they have very good processes in place to administer that, but you could run automated process over the top, which stop you requiring all the things that you have at the moment.
0: So DLT is at its sweet spot when you've got this tension between transparency and privacy and needing to run a workflow, right? So I, I need to know that that thing is over there and I can run the next piece of the work workflow but i can't i don't i can't see inside your organization to do it so you have to have your commercial confidentiality the individual customer has to have their privacy but at the same time, we want to automate a workflow without necessarily having a central body. Sounds like the quarter white paper. <laughs> oh, no. Now you make me feel dirty. Oh, oh.
3: <laughs> oh,
0: uh, speaking of quarter white papers, um, from medium.com, Konstantinos, um, um, I'm not even going to pr- try and pronounce his last name, from R3 has published a new post-quantum signature algo. Uh, do you want to read out your prepared notes from your CTO, Todd?
3: <laughs> so uh, shout out to Costas. Uh, and also big thanks to Richard Gainabrown for attempting to make me sound smart by sending me some brief notes that, that filled up a page and a half. Uh, so I'll summarize. One, Actually, before that, one of the things that I uh, appreciate in working within this space and w- w- within R3, it's incredible to be able to work with people like uh, Costas. I mean, he is uh, so high energy and basically, you know, they are, these are rocket scientists that we get to, to work with. And I think what's one of the big benefits of all of this interest in blockchain is to bring smart different people looking at existing problems. So what the team has done, they they have a they have a thesis that really quantum computing is not science fiction, it's actually real. So quantum
0: computing, instead of using binary ones or zero, we use the quantum superposition of states. So you can have, you can store much more information than just the one or the zero, and logically attack the problem in a completely different way, which means a lot of the traditional cryptography that we would have used, such as RSA, potentially become something, you know, whilst it's used day to day, if a quantum computer was to be fast enough, then all of these services would be subject to being attacked. And there are quantum-resistant algorithms, but they're very, very slow. Enter
3: your man here. Yes, we're seeing this happen, so IOTA's had... They tried to crack this problem and and they have realized oops they haven't but in, that in this, sounds like a Britney Spears song yes maybe uh, <laughs> oops bit, IOTA did it again blockchain karaoke uh, <laughs> so in a post quantum world these platforms will break That you won't, the, the transactions will be exposed and there'll be a lot of information leakage so and one of the things I didn't appreciate is that in the post quantum world you can sign these transactions but you can only do it once so everything we look at is not just can you do it but can you scale it so can you have reusable signatures that can last or, or not ways to be able to sign these transactions. And so that's what the team has done. They it's a it's a really good mix of academic work and, and papers that they've that have been uh, they've been working on with the community. Uh, but also trying to solve some uh, business problems that, that we think is a lot closer to reality than people realize. So I tweeted on this. Um, you're probably aware, Todd, but people tend to get quite snippy and
0: snippy about R3 and say, well, you guys are basically E Corp. Anything you produce must be the devil. We don't want any of your uh, stinking enterprise DLT. And I look, people say this? I've never heard of this before. Uh, no, no. It's, but, it's, it's, but, I'm, <laughs> but I'm wearing
3: a T-shirt, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, God damn, you're charming. So the the thing that... I like about this is hey here's something and we've had academics look at it and just go look at it and it's free and go figure it out and see if you like it what are your thoughts on this Noel? do you think this is is this actually going to turn people around are people going to actually use this thing um and if they do is it going to change the image of r3 a little bit or is it just going to be like people are going to be like oh no wait the devil woke up like what's uh what, what do you think the perspective of this might end up being
1: i do think it's going to change people's opinion of r3 which i didn't know was as negative as you imply it is i do think it's giving you you've always been very r3 has always had a very good technical mm-hmm. reputation and this is going to enhance it even further the fact that most people don't fully understand what signing quantum algorithms means is probably going to confuse them. It's probably going to scare a lot of people. And I'd like to ask Todd what he means by saying this is closer than we think it might be.
3: Well, I mean, I'm not smart enough to make that claim. But if you talk to to Costas and some of the other uh, folks that are looking at quantum computing, it's a few years away, not a few decades away. Uh, And potentially, that might be a little bit might be pulling that in a little bit sooner than it happens. But the risk is quite, if you look at the expected value, if it actually is pretty soon, there shit's going to break.
1: And so. I, I, I do get a lot of people asking me, but what about quantum? Will that break the algorithms and will Bitcoin That's be right. worthless? Yes, ex-
3: <laughs> e- exactly right. And so so I think Costas would be a great person to speak to because people need to start thinking about this now because... It's not that Bitcoin will necessarily break, but it will be breakable if it's not uh, if it's not addressed in a timely fashion.
0: So the, if you're interested, listeners, the title of this one on Medium is R3 Publishes New Post-Quantum Signature Algorithm Tailored to Blockchains. And I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see what I'd be interesting is if some permissionless blockchain project picks us up and goes, this is one of the things we can use too. To me, that's a sign, again, of the blurring of the lines. Um, you know, if, if Hyperledger adopted, if Ethereum would say, yeah, you could use this and, and and then uh, that to me would be would be truly compelling because we know the guys at um, Zcash, for instance, have been doing a lot around zk snarks, zk starks. There's a whole lot of interesting things happening at the cutting edge of crypto that is pure tech and pure cryptography. That's um, that's particularly interesting. So
2: why I pulled a bit of a face when you said not a couple of decades away is because in his actual blog post, Costa says that it is, but he also makes the valid point, which I think you're kind of getting to there, which is even though it's a little while away, it's going to take a while for this to be developed anyway and for it to be implemented. So even if it is 10 to 20 years away, if we don't work on it now, then things are gonna be broken in the future. The other bit around R3's reputation, I don't think it's that bad, but one of the things Mm. that, if I was gonna be critical of anything of R3, it's just your messaging. I think sometimes it's not clear and what's good about this is it's a very clear message that you're doing something that's useful for everyone that's working in the community. The problem with, I think, R3 is people still keep referring to it as a blockchain. When everyone knows it's not a blockchain, then they criticize you for it not being a blockchain. Uh, to my knowledge, no one ever said it was. Richard certainly didn't in his opening blog post when he joined R3, quite clear on that fact, but um, people still
1: seem confused on that.
0: Well, let's get angry about a thing. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and
1: can we give the t shirts another shout out?
0: Yeah, that is a very. Did red I mention t-shirt. I'm wearing a t shirt? It's a very red t shirt. Well it's a done, it, shirt It's a lot better than the golf shirts that you. You guys started out with I think that's part of the journey Right Is is you Golf shirts From golf From
3: golf shirts to
0: t-shirts The
4: R3 story (laughs) You've made it
0: Now you've got your own algorithm Like everything's happening That sounds a
2: little bit like From riches to rags we don't want it (laughs) that (laughs) way
0: I see what you did there alright next story comes from bitcoinist.com soaring ICO failure rate sees investors flock to bigger players so new evidence to suggest that ICOs failed in Q2 of 2018 uh, while those that succeeded suffered huge losses this is according to icorating.com whose data suggests 55% of ICOs failed to complete in Q2 of 2018 the difference in return between Q1 and Q2 is significant. ICOs enjoyed an average return of almost 50%, but in Q2, (laughs) returns were minus 55%. But while that failure rate is increasing, uh, investment's not. In fact, the amount of money pouring into ICO tokens is rising. Uh, Business Insider notes that the out of... uh, 827 ICO projects, investment totaled 8.3 billion US dollars in Q2 and 3.3 billion in Q1. Capital is flowing this way. Uh, how long is ICO trend going to continue, Noel? Do you think this is going to run and run and run still?
1: No, I don't. And in fact, I think if you strip out the big ones, the outliers from first and second quarters, you'll see that the trend has been declining, but there have been some massive mm-hmm. ones which are distorting the numbers somewhat. So, so there's always, less of them, they're more yeah. massive. And, and massive. always with statistics, you take the top 5%, drop them, and then you look at the figures.
4: I wonder what those returns mean as well. I mean, I mean, are we talking about... You know, speculative quick return on you, know, you investing somebody and it spikes up and it spikes down and and if that's what we're talking about, I mean, kind of the the answer is well, who cares really? Because that is not what the sustainable market it's all about. Okay, it's 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 the the froth uh, or the depression in the market that, that, that we talked about and will be the newsworthy item for the day or the month. But actually, what's underlying it is really what's critical. You know, the question is, are we moving towards? We talked about. It earlier about maturing. Are we talking about it taking longer to put together better deals? Probably more. Securities based tokens, which have got a, a higher degree of diligence involved in them, and then they, they take more effort and they, they, you have to have a bigger team to put them together, but actually they 're more likely to generate a real return going forward over time, and a lot of the stuff that 's going to be spit out at the at the back of this this pool is stuff that you know probably pe- people shouldn 't have been investing in anyway. it was a speculative play, a bit of gaming you know trying to trying to get a a hot stock while while you could without really knowing what that stock was all about so I mean, I think that some of this is, um, I think the failure rates is not surprising. I mean, you look at a lot of the stuff that you see around and I mean, it does it, usually it's not about the technology. It's often just about just basic corporate structure and governance that businesses that come to market or come to ICO with really very little understanding of how we're business operates and you know having suppliers and and customer programs and proper corporate governance structures and risk management tools they're just not that mature often they they're coming half baked to to get the money and then look at how they how they will restructure another big trend we're seeing now is the um, the desired refresh of the original ICO so the ICO that did raise money and now they realize that actually everything they put out about how that business worked was probably not going to achieve what they originally thought it might achieve and how they might now, Refresh what they're doing either through jettisoning some of the themes of what they originally put out, or even just trying to now recognize that they probably are in a regulated space and now they have to deal with that in a different way, and how they can you know do a new ICO issue or even equity issue or try and try and change the profile that they have. So so we're seeing a lot of change in the market. I think I think that short term upwards or downwards movement was is relatively insignificant. I think it's overwhelmed by a few big big issues. But what I do hope is that when we look at the underlying quality of the businesses that we're seeing, we're seeing an increasing proportion of quality businesses come through. So that that would be what is more interesting to me.
0: So you quality businesses that are doing something that looks more like a private placement that might not be available on Binance ever. So therefore, you wouldn't almost view it as an ICO. You'd view it as a different type of capital raise. And if it's a different type of capital raise that's allowing entrepreneurs to build new businesses, that's good. But it's almost separating in two isn't it you've kind of got these web 3.0 platforms that have these tokens that support their security and then you've got this new form of capital raise both paths could be valid correct
3: yes I, but i want to push back a little it does matter that these icos are failing and it could matter because it's it's we can't just disassociate ourselves and say oh a lot of people lost money no big deal let's do a do over ico or whatever that these these projects would be because it's it will risk it risks on two things one over uh, regulation coming in two what what we see as a, a very interesting and novel way for legitimate businesses to raise capital or issue debt or equity that potentially could be done in because of the denta coins of the world so and i don't know if this was if, if we mark to market this right today versus the end of q2 the numbers would be a lot worse because really this was financial capital that was flowing to projects that had no business uh trying to raise money mm-hmm. and that's exactly what's, what's happened there's going to be a hangover for this and i hope you know Simon you're doing a lot of work around tokens and where they fit into financial market structure and and we're doing a lot of work as well and there's going to be great things to take from this I just hope that when all of this sort of uh, plays out and when the scams and it's not even just scams people are way over their skis and it has to correct and it's going to overcorrect. I just hope we don't overcorrect from a regulatory perspective. Yeah, don't throw the baby
0: out with the bath wall. So there's something interesting here that's not just DLT workflows. There's something about the idea of a token and a new form of capital raise in and of itself that is interesting Um G himself, Colin G Platt's been calling that global capital formation and the the beginning of truly global markets. Can you have global liquidity pools, global investor pools, and that raises all kinds of jurisdictional questions? But it also uh, is
4: compelling from a business case standpoint. So we'll we'll follow that one for sure. So last point on that. So I mean that is and again don't tell me, me wrong. I mean there's a lot of that stuff that should never have been done and they've been done illegally. And uh, the more enforcement action we see against that stuff, the better in my view, because I think there's a lot of stuff that out there that should never have been done and it undermines the market. Market. But but again, going back to we, we're now seeing real businesses that can raise equity and debt appropriately. They're now asking, well, could we do a tokenized? Uh, version. So, if, if that takes off, and and it could be a securities token because it, it, it's structured as a securities token, or it could be a, util- a genuine utility token because there is a way of creating a utility token um, through um, through the product line, whether it's a you know membership loyalty t- style or just a, you know, the the way the utility works within the business. And there are ways of of doing those things, and people are looking at those I think more intelligently now than. Than I've seen in the sort of two years or so that I've been involved in this market, so that's what that's what I mean about quality businesses. Uh, it's it's not about getting round the regulation, which I think is the the more we can stop that, the better. It's about applying the regulation and understand when the regulations apply and when they don't. You know when you. I was at a meeting the other day I mean FCA hopefully will come out with a, a proposal later this year, but you know clearly they accept that there will be categories of token which will either be falling in the in the regulated per, uh, perimeter as regulated security tokens or utility tokens which are outside that perimeter or cryptocurrencies which themselves fall outside the regulated perimeter it 's really important that people start to understand and take appropriate advice and follow that advice in terms of what they do. So what you're saying is you need to hire a lawyer.
3: It's
1: always
4: <laughs> Everybody's always talking their own book. Jesus Christ. Uh, all right,
0: next story that was linked to this one is uh, where have all the Augur users gone? Augur, of course, for those of you who haven't been following is the prediction market platform that did launch. Um, so a an ICO that raised capital launched a real thing and uh, you could basically bet one way or another on would an outcome happen um, and uh, up to a couple of episodes ago took us through um, what he saw as the value in prediction markets and where they go against traditional betting and where they're different to traditional financial markets. Uh, right now it has uh, 64 daily users um, and a $308 million valuation. So that's uh, that's a lot of millions of dollars per per user. The project's co-founder put on a brave face telling Coindesk he's not super concerned about user numbers as long as uh, markets are getting resolved correctly which I guess, you know, if you were to say this is a Series A business that was nowhere near as well funded and it had 64 users and it was doing something interesting it would almost be in its kind of uh, pre-alpha stage and user testing phase that's sort of where it is but the the gap between how much the the project is worth and it's not clear that the project has monetized all of its valuation of the coin and what uh, what they've actually achieved is is pretty striking but who knows where this one where this one goes
2: well, i guess that goes back to some of the earlier points we were saying about a lot of these icos whether they're good ideas or not because they didn't have a cap they had no clear idea of what they were going to use the money for they raised all of this money and now they're just sat on stuff and they what do we do with it?
3: Yeah, but I think the difference here is that you know Augur from the beginning had a vision of what they wanted to do. So so this is this is an example of a project that wanted to uh, bring something to market. But it, so it's not as much about the maybe early financial capital that they shouldn't have gotten as much of. I think it's more about I see this repeatedly where projects, technology projects, forget about building markets and building liquidity. Mm-hmm. So it's a prediction market. The, the prediction side, I think it's it's quite interesting. But you need to have the marketplace be built. You need the alchemy of liquidity. And that's, very, that's a very difficult thing to bootstrap. And you see this with these decentralized exchanges. The reason that people come to markets is to find other people to trade with. And if, if that doesn't happen, or if the UX is too hard to do it, or if it's too early or no one cares, or in some cases you're happy for, to trade some centralization for higher liquidity, I think that's the challenge that these projects have.
0: It's consistent, isn't it? Trying to learn the lessons of history with a new tech. Um, but it's also interesting to me that you know, Silicon Valley and, and uh, big tech has figured out uh, hyperscale and uh, growth in user base on the retail side, but there's also been a lot of uh, interesting business to business products. But in financial markets when dealing with heavy liquidity uh, the kind of west coast tech hypergrowth approach hasn't really worked with liquidity it's always a little bit different because liquidity tends to be a um, a concentration effect it, it concentrates around like and it, it's almost on purpose right that 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 seems to be something that's an emergent principle rather than a design principle. We didn't design the markets that way, they emerged that way. And so the push for decentralization may de-risk things, but it may also be harder to get that liquidity on. But then when PayPal came along, they segmented the market. They dealt with the lower end of the market. Clayton Christensen describes disruptive innovation as going after the underserved and the overcharged. So can you find pools of liquidity that are underserved and are overcharged? I think that's the interesting question. But that's putting my product hat on, right? Like that's, you've got to, and I don't know, a lot of these tech projects are thinking tech rather than product. Yeah, PayPal had to find their two-sided market in eBay. For, for them to take off. And they bootstrapped on that. All right, last story this week from Cointelegraph.com. Uh, in the US, the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, correct I've, me nev- if- I've never interacted with them, so I can, <laughs> I
3: can, I can <laughs> confirm nor deny. Criminal
0: activity in cryptocurrency has dropped 80% since 2013. Um, so an agent from the DEA has noted that Bitcoin's role in real crimes has dropped to just 10% of all Bitcoin transactions, while transactions themselves have grown tremendously. The volume's grown and the amount of transactions and the dollar Value's grown, um, but the criminal uh, activity ratio has decreased. Regulators have set about tackling the perceived usage of cryptocurrency for illicit purposes. The other thing that was in this story is um, the DEA agent also said, like, it's relatively trivial to identify illicit activity on Bitcoin. So, if more drug users would use Bitcoin, that would really help them. Um, which, which, again, going back to that point with my uh, fabled meeting with the uh, senior management, uh, with the board of a uh, financial services company, where they all said we like the tech but not the currency. It's interesting the DEA say, no, no, if you're going to use anything to buy drugs, we, we like this because we can trace
2: you. There are a couple of points here. So I, I don't disagree necessarily. We talked a little bit and I think you kind of touched on it there regarding the volume probably and value probably remaining about the same for illegal activity it just got so swamped by the pump at the end of 2017 early 2018 that it kind of got lost in the noise but the other part is so just because bitcoin isn't the primary use for illicit trading doesn't mean it plays doesn't play a part in the overall transaction cycle so if i was going to perform illicit trades not that i'm going to but if i was going to i would probably use other currencies that are less able um, to track that have that secrecy element with Bitcoin as the transaction currency to then get back ultimately to it's the to bridge currency yeah. we're, all,
3: we're all using Monero now bro <laughs> <laughs> well, actually I
1: was going to call, put on my pedantic hat which which I do love to wear and call out the semantics on this I mean the article is talking about cryptocurrencies but what they mean is you'd really Bitcoin. like Richard
0: Brown <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure I would but they're t- they mean Bitcoin yeah. they don't mean cryptocurrency in general do they
0: well so I've been I was speaking to somebody somebody from a law enforcement agency a couple of weeks ago who was saying a few few interesting things to me one which is outside of bitcoin there's there are tools now where you can trace even the privacy coins um so if you talk to the guys at Coinfirm, firm for instance you know they've done a lot around uh, helping tra- uh, dash be traceable and uh, some of the Chain other t- analysis uh, yeah stuff. all of those and um, block cipher and there's there's uh, elliptic there's many of them and so there's there's that piece of the puzzle the second piece of the puzzle is Uh, the the law enforcement agent said they were worried about an overreaction from regulators in this space because of the perception around crypto. If they started closing or banning some of the centralized crypto exchanges, then their ability to see into this market disappears because the collaboration from the likes of uh, Coinbase and others, uh, there are others out there, I'm sure, but that was the first one that came to mind, Kraken and who knows else. Uh, those, (laughs) Those types of organizations uh, collaborating with law enforcement has actually been the reason why they were able to move this forward. And the interesting thing that they also said is, like, compared to traditional financial... Uh, markets where you've got all of its paper-based you don't know where the paper is or if it's not all paper-based it's using different technology systems in different countries on different days like raising a suspicious activity report against something that's happened with a company that's got a headquarters in you know eastern europe but has a controlling organization in the cayman islands becomes near impossible whereas with this stuff at least you've got a permanent record of the transactions now what that means is you've got a then a long time to figure out what happens? so uh, I think that argument may be a little bit tired that it's all for drugs
4: you know it always amazes me you know the way the KYC AML is held out has been one of the biggest problems for cryptocurrencies and, and not, be, not because I don't think it's a problem I, I accept it but then I look at the quality the standard that applies in the in the mainstream system currently yeah and you think how weak that is as a real policing system for, okay, yeah, for for genuinely following illicit transactions It's taken on board you know, once at the start of a transaction. Then there's no follow; it can't be followed through internally within the system. So it relies on certain you know, assumptions, which generally uh, I think you could find are not tr- not accurate or true. And yet, cryptocurrency has the ability, you know, with some further development, with the way the technology and smart contracts uh, you know might, may develop, to actually Create a very robust and very accurate ability to um, protect against uh, illicit activity using currencies. I, and yet I've yet always we don't really follow that through as much. The, you don't see that followed through. I think in I've always been an much.
0: optimist, Martin, and and you can shoot me down for being an optimist here. But one of the things that I like about certainly the idea of using of tokenizing payments and/or using tokens for uh, and blockchains for this type of uh, transaction is the idea that you could balance individual privacy with uh, traceability at a higher level so I could be privately transacting, but at the macro level, a regulator or authority could see what's happening. And if something truly illicit or truly dangerous looking was happening as a pattern, then maybe they might be able to do something in terms of investigation. That might be dealing with the regulated entities at either end of that transaction or you know, point pockets within that transaction. Or There may be things you could do that are harder to do in the existing financial system. Now, there's a whole bunch of holes you can punch in that, and that's why I caveated up front that that I'm an optimist. But I don't think traceability has to mean invalidating privacy. In fact, I think it can be the opposite. I think you can have this balance between privacy and traceability that that might be more ideal for
2: policymakers. But I think this also speaks to how far they've got to go. So to Noelle's point, the very fact that they are talking about cryptocurrency whilst actually meaning Bitcoin shows that conflation of semantics. Now, again, it may just be a semantic slip, but I don't think it is in this case because they're so focused on something that was so significant five years ago that they're not focusing on where those changes have happened within the market. So it's really unclear as to what the real picture is. So whether or not they can do the monitoring or not, I I would wonder whether or not, certainly those ones that haven't been looking at it for a period of time understand what it is they're trying to look for.
0: There's no real clear source of market data coming from the on-off ramps, I think, uh, that, that's publicly available. And and if you're a, you know, you've are you got good websites like uh, Crypto Compare and uh, all of those sorts of guys that give you you know what comes out of the APIs, but if I ask a simple question like how many uh, UK investors have bought into an ICO very hard to get the answer to that question so there's still some issues but the, the people that have an issue with knowing the answer to that question might not be the same people that had an issue with Bitcoin five years ago and I think that was your point. Uh, Alright that's about all the time we've got so um, just to remind everybody today's episode of Blockchain Insider is brought to you by R3 Woohoo! and Todd in a red quarter t-shirt. Todd in a red quarter t-shirt and the quarter platform deliver on the promise of Blockchain for Business and he delivers on smiling as well. Are you, if you're visiting London this September and you're a member of the the quote-unquote all 3 ecosystem. Is that a new term for you guys? We're a very big community. <laughs> the all 3 ecosystem. Uh, you should plan
3: to join 400 attendees at Cordicon uh, on September the 12th and 13th. Yes, my goal is that we uh, get make the fire marshal very, very worried because we have a 400-person uh, limit, so... And we, I'm gunning for about eight hundred people well I, well, I think
0: I think there is a there's a new uh, algorithm that people can find out more about so, so do get to
3: that. It's split into two days, so you've got dev day and biz day, um, so it's dev day September the twelfth, yep, Mike current and lots of other really smart folks will be talking and a lot of our partners too,
0: and biz day is the, the 13th 13th yep. uh, unlucky of some uh if you're a technologist or dev day developer don't miss the 12th um members partners and regulators it says don't miss biz day um on september the 13th which provides an in-depth look at key trends and use cases and you've got speakers including european central bank hp hsbc finastra guild one yeah, Guild One, they're tokenizing hydrocarbon flow. Oh, right. Uh, that sounded like something from Fortnite. Yeah. Microsoft, Nataxix, and, and a whole bunch of others. B3i, chain that. Chain that. I really want to break into a song, but I won't. Um, crypto BLK. Okay. Yeah, Crypto Block. Uh, okay. New kids uh, on the crypto block, yes. <laughs> All right, and uh, don't forget, Blockchain Insider, we're going to be making a guest appearance so you can see my uh, hideous face there as well and my really ginger beard. Uh, registration is complimentary. Um, so visit r3.com forward slash cordacon to register. Some stories we didn't have time to cover. Um, Bloomberg.com is how to lose $3 billion of Bitcoin in India, which sounds like the title of a book. Um, Thenextweb.com, watch this 15-year-old hacker play doom on John McAfee's unhappy crypto wallet.
1: <laughs> what?
0: Yeah, just just yes. The whole setup to that is just, anyway. Forbes.com Bitcoin investors I Turkey as lira plummets 20%. Um CCN.com Saudi Arabia um, Bitcoin trading is illegal in the kingdom. Uh all good in the hood though. Uh ledgerinsights.com Maersk and IBM complete a supply chain blockchain. Pilot, Ooh, pilot, yo. Uh, tweet of the week time.
4: Tweet, 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 tweet.
0: It's the tweet of the, week.
4: <laughs> tweet of the week.
0: All right, tweet of the week comes from Jackson Palmer. This one is Jackson Palmer's tweet, not Blockchain Insider's tweet, belongs to Jackson Palmer. He says Ripple, sorry, brackets XRP, is processing less payments per day than it was in 2016. Um, any thoughts on this one? Let's move on. Uh, As a reminder, everybody, we're 11FS and we're a challenger consultancy and we're shaping the next generation of financial services. We're building propositions at the moment and we've got a lot of great work and that takes a lot of great people. So if you're a product manager, Java developer, or you're just interested in helping shape the future of financial services, go to 11FS.com forward slash careers we've got at least 30 vacancies at the moment and we're growing wow. fast yes um, and not just in the uk we're looking at the us hong kong possibly even africa soon as well so remember to hit subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review it helps us so so much if you're reviewers um you can't see todd's red t-shirt but you can leave us comments about todd's red t-shirt and um we're also taking this show live on the 26th of september to the london olympia uh, so keep your eyes and ears peeled for blockchain insider live before we go, where can people find out more about you, Noel?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Noel in Madrid, and don't forget to check out CoinDesk.com.
4: Thank you, Noel Martin. Um, so DLA Piper, we've got a website up there. You know, just look for DLA DLA Piper, and you'll find Martin Bartlam in there. Wow. Okay. You, people know me. I have many leather-bound books. Uh, <laughs> Anthony. I barely use it, but you can find me on Twitter
2: at Anthony Macy.
0: Oh, challenge. Now that is worth finding. Just for the occasional Anthony Macy
3: tweet of gold. Um Todd McDonald. At M C D T V on the Twitter and also we have a small podcast, Life in the Fast Chain, where you can uh, you can buy it wherever you download your podcast. Oh but and your free. blog.
2: Don't forget your blog. That was awesome. Oh thank yeah. you.
3: Corda, uh, it's uh, medium.com slash Corda. Really did like that blog. All right. Uh, Big thank you to the production team here, 11FS.
0: Uh, Producer Petra, thank you. Laura, who's also producing from another room at the moment because she's multi talented. Holly, our editor, and Michael, who's holding a camera today. Michael, shout out to you, sir. Well done for holding that camera. Look at you go. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, We'll have more Blockchain Insider next week. Goodbye for now.